Ladies and gentlemen, this is El Cochino, Tom Lawler, and I'd like to welcome you to the podcast that puts the lotion on its own skin, Lucha World. Bitchin'. Welcome, everyone, to Lucha World Podcast, episode number 93. Fredo Esparza here. Lots of news to talk about this week. From El Mesías leaving AAA, CMLL's upcoming Copa Nuevos Valores tournament, a bunch of matches that recently made their way to um, to YouTube, really. You know, from the indies, like Kira versus Princess Azul, five-man match from the Mexa Wrestling Show. Aramis versus Nero Casas from Lucha Meme Show finally made it onto the to YouTube two about two weeks later from when um, Danny had mentioned it actually a week later uh, from when Danny had mentioned it would be up as well as a, a a couple of other matches that were pretty good that made their way onto um, YouTube. We'll also talk about the New Japan show in Long Beach, Dragon Lee, Rey Mysterio. MLW getting their own um, TV show on the BN Sports Channel. All that is coming up. But the big news that we opened the show with, of course, is the biggest return in Lucha Libre of this of 2018. She's been gone for a long time. I know many of you listeners miss her, missed watching her matches. And of course, I am talking about Estrellita. She is back. I know everybody listening is very excited. They're thrilled. I could already hear you guys cheering on, waiting in anticipation to see her return to CMLL rings. Of course, there are two things that all of us look forward to when, CML, when, when Estrellita is in a CMLL ring. The first, what outfit is she going to wear? And the second, what possible risk or dangers there will be in her in her within her match because we all know that she's she gets that little uh, burst of energy goes really fast it, it does a bunch of like um, arm drags then she decides she's got to do an arm drag, drag off the top rope or a tope to the outside and you know something's gonna happen um, hopefully it doesn't end up being anything horrible horribly bad but um, usually I think that might have been one of the reasons that she hasn't been around also because she had 
I think the last time I saw her wrestle, she had that one. Um, I think it might have been that dive or or an arm drag that she did. That I know. I know. I saw her once do an, a, a tope, and she landed. She tried to do a plancha to the outside, and I think one of the the, the other girls didn't catch her, so she landed on the on the floor. And then there was something else with an arm drag at one point where she missed it and, and fell off of the the second rope or something. But you know she's back. She'll be making her return at the for the Arena Coliseo 75th anniversary show. Not a lot to that show. They mentioned they're going to be posting. They're they're going to um, air it on Channel 52 MX, MX. And I think the only person I know that actually gets that channel is um, the Cubs fan, which is a good thing. Because if they air it, at least we'll get to maybe watch that. Depending on the matches they had, they didn't really announce anything that interesting. Um, the two Legends matches, they decided to have two tag matches. And Nero Casas has to team with Mascarena Dos Mines. So that already is a, a, you know, unless you really want to watch Nero Casas and then like just skip through Mascarena Dos Mines portion of the matches. But um, it doesn't. it looks like a pretty good card. Maybe they'll post it on YouTube. Who knows? That weekend, I think most people are going to be watching other things early on. I know there's. I'm. I'm definitely going to try to watch the Impact versus Lucha Underground show. But yeah, Estrellita's back to strengthen that CML women's roster. Uh, I had to say that, you know. Uh, we'll be talking about women's wrestling again on the. It, I, I'm going to do a Lucha Classica segment towards the end of the show. Something I kind of want to try out just to add, because I get tired of doing those um those previews. That's like an extra like hour of working on the on podcast that I really just want to add at least do the three pod two or three podcasts that I do and that's about all I want to I don't want to spend more time editing that I than I already do um, so really the big news this past the past um, since we last did the last podcast um, was Messias officially announcing that he had left AAA the last time we did the podcast we talked about the rate the Ray the Reyes match where he waved goodbye after losing to La Parca in the Ray the Reyes semifinal match. And Dorian Roldan, after that match, was asked what was going by the Maslucha crew, what was going on with El Messias. Turns out, well, he actually said that he just figured he was mad at um mad about losing. But apparently Dorian was lying because he pretty much already knew at that point that El Messias had quit. Although El Messias said that he kind of he he got a feeling from AAA that they thought he was only joking, and he said that that day before the match at Rey de Reyes, he told Vampiro and others at in AAA that he was done with the promotion, and um, so that's why he waved goodbye. He was basically saying he was gone. The reasons that he decided to leave. He felt disrespected by AAA, talked about how the last four years of his career, there was nothing going on. The last year he spent most of it injured. He actually had a um, double knee surgery, I think in, what was it? I think late last year, but he had wrestled injured. He mentioned he had wrestled injured from June 2017 through October 2017 at the end of, um, he said he was, he had to, he had to fulfill the commitments with um, because AAA uh, because of that AAA Japan tour, so he, you know, he 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 fought on. He brought up how that Pagano match was supposed to be a, a, a lucha extrema. They switched it around on them the day of the show, 
and it turned out to be really horrible. He actually, had, I think he actually admitted that it was a really bad match. So in talking about how he, what he thought about the the last four years of his career in AAA, he he mentioned how a lot of people were asking why he wouldn't leave because he had seen so many guys leave and he always wondered why. You know, he saw Ray Phoenix, Pentagon, Conan, Taya, Daga, so many people leaving uh, AAA, and he didn't really understand why. He didn't really, he didn't really have a. I don't think he really like went out of his way to ask or anything, but he, he just figured it was just you know part of business, and as, and he basically brought up how he felt he was very stubborn in thinking that AAA would improve. And he 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 figured out as as the years went on that it just kept the promotion just getting kept getting worse and worse, and if you see the last year of AAA, they've gotten much worse. I mean, not just from talent leaving, but talent being very upset at the at the promotion and not being and not be, and being very public about it. You know, Ray Phoenix comparing working to AAA to slavery. Penta has talked. Penta hasn't been as harsh about it. Garza Jr. has been. Um, early on when he when he had left he talked about how horrible it was working there um, Taya also talked about how, how her how they handled her whole situation at the end so yeah he he basically felt he was disrespected came back from surgery and the first thing they told him he was going to lose in the first match back he and of course it was to La Parca he didn't he, he basically said he had no problems losing to La Parca but he didn't feel that it was right that he had this huge return, this big return to AAA, and they have him lose, and that was basically the 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 straw, the the very that very end of it. He's already getting um, independent bookings. Uh, he has a match scheduled against Cibernetico, which actually was a pretty good feud early on in his um, early run in AAA. But I mean, that was 12, 13 years ago. Um, Cibernetico's gotten actually worse. Although you know, Cibernetico didn't look that bad in um, CMLL, so I can't give him, I can't hate on him too much. He said he's open to wrestle anywhere. Uh, he was asked about Lucha Underground. He said, as far as he was concerned, that he would probably continue with Lucha Underground because he's seen other guys who left AAA. And I think right now of the Lucha Underground roster, there's probably only like five or six AAA regulars that are part of Lucha Underground, and I think everybody else has either left. Um, left AAA or were never part of AAA because they were um, American, you know, XWWE guys or indie wrestlers from, from the U.S. He was asked about the rights to his name. He brought up how he's used the Ricky Bandera, Banderas El Mesías name since 1998 and how in 2011 he received a, 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 he, he received a letter from AAA mentioning that they had trademarked his name El Mesías, in some form, they had trademarked the El Mesías name. And he brought up how he never consented or gave authorization for that to happen. But at that time, uh, I think this was around the time Lucha Libre USA was starting. Because that's the first time um, the Lucha Libre, Lucha Libre USA basically was the promotion that started before Lucha Underground. That was supposedly going to work with AAA. That fell apart immediately and ended up resulting in Lucha Libre USA using a lot of guys who weren't in... Um, who were independents or uh, they had like guys like Marco Corleone who had left AAA. I think I can't remember if he was still with AAA at the time that they they had started, but he had he was already gone at that point and was working for um, Lucha Libre USA. Um, I think they used Helms, Shane Helms also. Uh, 
Oriental was on that. By the Oriental told um told Curtin and myself that that was probably his um the the promotion that that took care of him the best. So you know, as short lived as it was, they did take care of their um t- of talent. Obviously, the opposite of what AAA has done. Um, so at that time, anyways, back to the 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 whole name thing. At that time, when AAA is going to work with Lucha Libre USA, if you go back and look at the the trademarks, the registration trademark registration site, you'll find that they trademarked like names like Cibernetico, um, Doctor Wagner Jr., a bunch of guys that were part of the 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 promotion at that time and a lot of the guys didn't know about it at that time they found out about it years later when they actually renewed the trademarks or actually tried to get more when they um when they started working with lucha underground when they started when they started lucha underground um so he said that he has uh messiah said that he has the paperwork to prove that he does own the name and he doesn't think there's going to be an issue although he he's willing to fight for the name and fight for his um for whatever he, he has to do to stop um, Dorian Roldan from not um, from blocking him from book from getting booked by other promoters. Messia said that one his his last conversation with Dorian was that Dorian threatened him and told him that he was going to block him, may, do his best to block him from working for Lucha Underground and for other uh, promoters across Mexico and probably in the U.S. and other parts of the world because they've done that with other guys like Ray Phoenix and Pentagon. They haven't done that with... Um, They've done that mostly with their with the guys based out of Mexico and not with um like like I don't think I've heard anything from Ty or anybody like that who's had those issues. So that's where Messias is at right now. He's a big loss for the promotion, not not just because he's a big name. I think his his match quality had really dipped in the last four years, mostly because of injuries. I think he had an arm injury at one point and then the of course the knee injuries. But he his quality had dipped, but he still had a, a, a star. He was a star name. Um, his had value, and AAA right now doesn't have a lot of that. I mean, they're booking house. I mean, promoters, independent promoters, who run house show AAA house shows, are booking Dave the Clown in main events. I mean, that tells you how bad AAA is right now, where they can't. They they at one point they were able to split crews. And give promoters like a really good um, good raw lineup. And now it's like all these um, like Dave the Clown, the the Yave La Gloria guys were good. Most of them have been good, but that's a lot of like they're not really names. B- big Mommy and Nino Hamburguesa working like semi main events or fourth matches on some of these house shows. You know, it's it's gotten pretty bad for um for AAA, and they they lose a guy who has that type of name. The other thing is like the perception that they have that they're really just falling apart. And um, it, it, it's 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 pretty bad right now. Um, the other guy, the other the other news from AAA is um, Vampiro mentioned that um, Verano de Escándalo would be happening in um, Monterrey this year, and he also brought up that ma- that one of the matches might include a retire uh, a retirement match for Vampiro. He said that in between talking about how dangerous it is to go to be in Monterrey because you could be um, killed by the cartel. Or kidnapped or who knows what else could possibly happen to you driving through Monterey you know a lot of ramblings from Vampiro in that in that uh, that Facebook post um, the last AAA TV taping which aired on Twitch the big the big news out of that was on uh, Ray Scorpion and Tejano Jr. Beca- winning the AAA World Tag Team Championships that's the one thing I I was talking about this off-air with um 
with um, Dylan and Microman Fever on Lucha Talk that you look at because I was telling him that um, Cubs fan posted this um, this uh, he he tweeted out the 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 current um, AAA World Triple Cha- A champions and the one the people holding the titles were actually pretty good wrestlers so they still have they still have the ma- the possibilities of a pretty good roster but it's basically about maybe like twenty or thirty and maybe like max twenty five. And then there's a lot of people where you're just like, they're like Dave the Clown. Like I said, Dave the Clown, Big Mommy. Um, they don't really have a women's division right now. Um, they haven't had one in a while because it's basically just like three or four women. And then, you know, someone they would bring in like from Impact or the Independence. But yeah, they, they have they have Rey Scorpion Tejano Jr. As a, as a pretty interesting world tag team championship team. And their first contend challengers to those titles are Aerostar and Drago. So we should actually get a pretty good match out of that. Out of that, I think that's something that, I think that's something that that AAA really needs. But the bad thing is, like, they'll some somehow screw it up, and you know the rest of the card will just be so difficult to watch. A lot of people who were watching the the last three shows were talking about how how painful these shows were, and the the the, the Sunday show was was actually what they said was the better one, the best of the three. But it's like it was still kind of difficult to watch. That's the AAA news. And now we get to talk about CMLL. And it wouldn't be a CMLL conversation if we didn't have a tournament to talk about. And fortunately, we have another tournament to talk about this week. As CMLL will hold over the next three weeks, every Tuesday actually, CMLL's Copa Nuevos Valores. Um, they announced the 16 participants, but somehow, as I mentioned earlier, Astral made the list. I guess he's a late, late, last-minute substitution for um, the Group One that's going to start up on this upcoming Tuesday. The 16 participants that were announced initially were Templario, Audaz, Magia Blanca, Machiavello, Yago, Principe Daniel from Guadalajara. Reiko from Guadalajara, Fugaz from Guadalajara, Super Astro Jr., El Coyote, Graco, or Graco, whatever you want to call him, Sangre Imperial, George Quebrada, Retro, Flyer, Principe Diamante, and of course, the, re- the late replacement, Astral. I, 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 I was trying to figure out more or less who Astral uh, replaced, and I'm guessing it's either Principe Diamante or Magia Blanca. Because um, they announced the first eight participants, the first block of the Copa Nuevos Valores for this upcoming Tuesday. And the first eight would be Yago, Super Astro Jr., El Coyote, Sangre Perial, George Quebrada, Retro, Flyer, and Astral. So I guess we will know next week who the who who got kicked off of this. I have a weird feeling Maya Blanca was the one that got kicked off because he had this really horrible performance this past Friday and he looked so bad. He looked so bad. I'm guessing that it was difficult. It would have been difficult to um, not see his match, even like the CMLL programming department that doesn't watch most of their uh, of their shows probably heard about it and realized that he, maybe he shouldn't be in it. Uh, but who knows? Maybe it's somebody else that got hurt. Uh, they, George Cabrada mentioned that the Guadalajara guys would be on the show. So the most interesting thing out of all this is that 
Uh, I think everyone thought that Templario versus Adas was going to be the no-brainer final, but CML usually does two um, two tournaments for the young guys. Sometimes they do three if they do um, En Busca de Una Idolo, but they usually the, the two that are the two that they definitely have is the this um, the singles tournament. Um, although they just started doing this one also, but um, and the Gran Alternativa, the tag team tournament where they have the 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 veteran with the youngster. Or sometimes they have the 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 old guy teaming up with the youngster. I think they've done that a few times. I think Okumura did it once, and somebody else did it where they had the they were older than their than their younger than the they were older than their than their veteran. Um, but this so so Templarian and Das are in the same in in group two. So we're not gonna get that as a final. I think everybody's trying to figure out of this group who is possibly gonna be. In the final, um, I kind of have a feeling Flyer might be the the the, the favorite right now. Um, I don't think Sangre Imperial has a shot. Coyote is pretty good, but I don't think he has a shot either. Um, Retro, I don't think he's that good from what I've seen. Yago's good, but I don't think they're going to elevate him that quickly. George Cabrada, he was really good in, in, in the interview on Informa. So if he's anywhere as good in the ring as he was in in, in, in the interview. Who knows? Maybe he, it could be him, but I don't think it's going to be him. I think it comes down to, um, I don't I don't think Astral would be the guy that they would move up just because he's so tiny. Um, even though he's like, he's, he's you know, he's he's ripped. I just can't, I, he's, he's, he just doesn't seem like they could do more with him beyond um, him being a, a good mid-card technical. I think it comes down to really Super Astro Jr. and Flyer. For me, at least, we haven't seen Super Astro Junior. Him and George Cabrera are really the guys that um, haven't been seen that much. I've heard Super Astro Junior is pretty good from what they from people from people who have seen him on indie shows. But I think Flyer is probably going to be the one that ends up in the final, just because maybe they they finally realize that they gotta they gotta move him up. Volador Junior has been praising him more of late, being taking his career a little more seriously. So I think Flyer might be the one to move up. And I think the I think it might end up being Flyer and Templario, maybe Aldas being the one that t- wins um, Gran Alternativa. So that means the 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 group block two would be um, Templario, Aldas, Machiavello, Principe the Guadalajara guys, Principe Daniel, Reiko, Fugas, um, Graco, and then we either get Magia Blanca or Principe Diamante. Maybe neither one. They might actually replace both of the the guys. You never know with um, CMLL, but. Yeah, I think Templario and Nadas is the clear-cut two guys for um, Block Two, but you know this, 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 this they, they really uh, tricked us in this one because I think everybody was just going with Templario and Nadas, um, who stand out far away than better than anybody else in this tournament. I like Flyer. I think he's got some potential. I kind of think when CML had the tag team final, I think they should have gone. I think they should have gone with Flyer and Volador Jr. in the final. Just to elevate someone, and because honestly, I mean, Vol- Valiente, you've pretty much—he's—he's he's already a trios champion, and they pretty much already hit the—he's already pe- reached the peak of what he could do. And I think Flyer has a little more. Where uh, they had that—they re- were a really fun tag team last year in the—I think it was the Gran, Gran Alternativa, um, and then they never teamed up again, of course. So you know, it's CMLL. Um, I'm really curious. I really want to see what Super Astro Junior looks like. That's the one guy in this whole tournament that I'm. And George Cabrada, because they both seem like they could be in uh, promising talents. 
Diago's good. I thought Coyote looked pretty good in the past. So yeah, this this tournament should be interesting. Something a little different. It's not a tag team tournament, at least. Should be fun. This past Tuesday, a really fun match between Soberano Jr. and Barbara Carbonario. I thought this was really great. Probably one of the best. Um, I would say it was one of the better matches this year. Had the crowd, really good crowd. Um, there's a they're they're based. There's I think it's vacation time in Mexico, so they they had a really good crowd, a better than usual Tuesday crowd, which means the Friday crowd is probably going to be a lot bigger than than it usually is. So we're actually going to get to see the arena again. <laughs> you know that that's the you, the the big CML shows is when you get to see the arena and see how many people are there. You know it's a good crowd. When um, I, this is the only match I watched. I don't know how the rest of the matches were. But during this match, the camera guys must have been delighted because they were getting so many uh, women in the crowd, shots of women in the crowd, a lot of foreigners. Um, so so that's when you know CML has a good crowd. Um, really good match. Carbonario really dominated early, much of the match. Just beat on Sobrano Jr. Um, great job of being a Rudo in this match. Ripped up his mask, ripped up his his tights. Um, he, ripped off, he ripped up his mask and then... Soberano Jr. got another mask, and that got ripped up also. Uh, really good match. Highly recommend it. You, you guys watch it. Soberano Jr. ended up winning the match. Um, really fun. Yeah, I, I thought this was a, one, of the, one of the better matches that, that, from this year. Definitely, you got, everyone should check that out. Had a chance to watch the New Japan show from Long Beach. I, thought, I, I think I only missed like about an hour of it. Like somewhere, the, the fine, like not, I saw the main event, but like the hour before that. I pretty much just stopped watching it because it was it, it was going a little too long for me, and um, I really liked the the Jushin Thunder Liger um, Will Osprey match. I thought it was okay, given um, Osprey hurt his um, I think he, he hurt his ankle or something. Dragon Lee and the Ingobert actually the the Dragon Lee was in the an eight man tag against Los Ingobernables de Japón. Uh, I thought I thought that was good also. I thought the I thought the show overall was pretty good. Um, what I saw, Dragon Lee told the story on Informa about having the chance to meet Rey Mysterio at this show. He he mentioned how he when he when he heard that Rey Mysterio had hurt his um, hurt his bicep, that he was pretty bummed because he he realized that that um, Rey Mysterio wouldn't be wrestling Jushin Thunder, Thunder Liger on the show, so he figured he wasn't going to be on the show. He then realized as once his match finished, he found out that. Um, Rey Mysterio had actually made it to the show and was there to um to cut a promo and promise as 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 those of you who watched Rey Mysterio promised he would actually make his New Japan in ring debut at some point. He threw out challenges to Jushin Thunder Liger and then uh, Will Ospreay challenged um Rey Mysterio, so we might actually get those two matches, which would be really cool. So so Dragon Lee said that that um he was he he went and peeked through the the curtain to see um if it was true that Rey Mysterio was there. And he was very excited. He started. Um, he was trying to figure out how he could ask him for a photo and stuff. And so Ray Mysterio walked walked backstage, and the first thing um, Dragon Lee ran over to him to like shake his hand. And right before he could say anything, Ray Mysterio told him he was he was doing well, and um, thought, told him he had a bright future ahead of him. Dragon Lee said he he was just amazed because he had, he had grown up being a big um, Ray Mysterio fan. Talked about how when he was a kid, he used to save up his allowance. In Mexico, we call in Spanish it's el domingo because that's when you get your allowance. And and it uh, within most Mexican families, um, my my parents would give me domingos every once in a while. 
they skipped a couple of domingos. I think I should ask for them now. Now that I, now, I could use that money right now, or maybe they could, maybe they could contribute it to my Patreon. You know, the, the five dollars was basically my domingo, so so maybe they could do that. Um, he said that he would get save up his 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 allowance and go buy WWE DVDs because he's a huge Rey Mysterio Jr. fan, and um, he he said he had the chance to meet him, and he said it it's amazing how nice and how humble. Rey Mysterio is and he he said it's proof that if you remain that way not just when you're going moving up in in the business but when you reach superstardom if you stay that way you'll achieve your goals and have and experience success Rey Mysterio I mean a lot of the guys I mean Nero Casas when we talked to him last year he was talking about how he had he had not seen Rey Mysterio in like like 10 years or something and he said he was still the same humble guy that he was when he first met him, I think Casas knew him went back when he was like a teenager too. So, so he he's been around him for a long time. The other match that I really liked from the New Japan show was the main event: the Young Bucks versus Golden Lovers. I don't like that name for the for the team, but you know that's that's it's a good tag team. It was a fun it was a it was a fun match. Really liked it. Um, I saw a lot of people compl- like complain about the acting in certain parts, and you know it's it, it is what it is. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was still fun. I, I enjoyed it. You know, it's fun. I, I saw people online like getting upset at people thinking that it was like the greatest tag team. You know, there's some fans who said it was like the greatest tag team match that they've ever seen. And you had a couple of people on Twitter just complain about, oh, if you don't, if, if you thought that was the greatest tag team match of all time, maybe you should watch some other stuff from the past. You know, let people enjoy their, their, their moment. You know, some, some wrestling fans have not watched wrestling since the 1980s or or didn't grow up watching everything some of these fans probably just started watching wwe and got into new japan and they watched this and this probably just blew away anything that they've seen in the last three four five years let them have their fun i mean really why do you have to like and that's the thing about the internet well it's always been the thing with the internet everybody's always like finding something to complain about and put everyone down you know let them enjoy it you know, I thought it was a fun match. I would actually say it was one of the better tag matches I've seen. So I don't know. I don't know what some of the guys who were, ups- were complaining about it. People saying it was were so worked up about it because I mean, they, it, I th- I thought it was up there. There's been a couple. I think the, the last couple of years there's been some pretty good tag team matches. Um, that the Carvernario um Volador Ultimo Girl Valiente tag match from last year was really good also. I, I think I said that was probably like those were my two favorite tag matches of the last two three years. Yeah. So oh, also announced Dragon Lee was announced for um, this year's King of the Indies tournament for July sixth. So Dragon Lee is getting a lot of um, a lot of bookings in the U.S. I think he's also possibly coming back for the for the New Japan show. I think it, it's I think that show is happening around that area also because um, in Northern California, that's where the King of Indies is happening also. Uh, what else is going on? There was something else I was going to mention about um, Dragon League. Oh, uh, RIW also brought up that they were going to bring in Dragon League and Mystico. Um, if you're going to that show and the, sh- and, and, it's, and, and the poster says 3 p.m. start time, you guys got plenty of time to arrive. You don't have to show up at 3 p.m. Yeah, you know, through one, two hours late, you'll be fine. You'll make it to that show. You know, I know Rob was at that last show and he he brought up how late it started. And I was trying to remember the last... I think I've gone to two of his shows and I 
and the last one I went to, he had Garomaya Jr., Puma, and Tiger. And I could not remember if we actually had to wait two hours for the show to start. But now that I think about it, I think we did. Because I spent, I did three interviews with, um, I interviewed Puma, Tiger, and Garomaya Jr. And I think I spent like about a half hour talking to Tiger before the show started. And still, when we went back to sit, to get our seats, there was still like another, they were still, we still waited for like another half hour. So I think it was maybe like an hour or 90 minute start, late start. So yeah, you better, that's the problem with a lot of the local Lucha promotions. They start so late. Usually I can understand like an, a half hour, but man, an hour, 90 minutes, two hours, that's, that's ridiculous. People have other things to do. You know, you're making it easier for these, you know, and then these promoters complain about people not showing up, you know, start your shows on time, you know, plan better. Shit. Other news, Garza Jr. and Ultimo Ninja were undergoing medicals with WWE. So there is a possibility that they might actually get offered deals to go to the WWE. I think Garza Jr. has always been somebody that I think since he did that um, reality show or that that variety show he was doing in Monterey, I think from that since that moment when he unmasked, I think everybody thought he should be somebody that WWE should um go after. I don't know what his future or Ultimo Ninja's future would be with um, WWE, but you know, worst case, they get um two hundred five live NXT. You know, it takes a while. I mean, it's not like these guys immediately. I think Ronnie Mendoza hasn't even been on any. Like I think he's mostly been on house shows right now. And he just, I think he's been there for like a year. Same thing with um, when Sombra, Andrade, Andrade Cien Almas. I think he spent like almost a year on on house shows. And same thing, Grand Metallic spent several months doing that. Although he did um, the Cruiserweight tournament and all that. But yeah, that's, that, um, I don't, I it's good for them. You know, it beats, it beats, um, whatever, it beats, it's a guaranteed deal also, I think. But, you know. They're not going to make what they're, they, they'll get, they'll probably make more there than they would in, actually, I couldn't even say that because I think they, the way there's, there's so many independent groups now getting like deals, like you have Aero Lucha trying to start TV, you have MLW TV, uh, MLW starting on TV also, there's a couple of other promotions that are trying to get backing, trying to get more money involved, so it, there, there might be a, there might be more, it might not be this big, um, big difference in what they could make as independence as it would be going to WWE, especially being on lower tiered guys. Like, so, but the, but the reality is all these guys, their dreams are, are to be in WWE. And you, you know, if they call you, you just can't pass that up. ML, as I said, MLW is starting their, their own TV show. It will be airing on the beat in sports network starting on April 20th. 420 surprise conan isn't part of this uh new project given the start date uh they mentioned ray phoenix and pentagon jr would be on the show um they worked out the deal for um, pentagon and ray phoenix through um lucha underground and triple a more so lucha underground and i guess triple a kind of like had to like really couldn't i think i think part of the deal is that triple a isn't gonna like <laughs> gonna send uh court any cease and desist letters about using these guys under those names. Although you never know with them. They might actually still do that. So that should be fun to another show to watch. Speaking of other promotions trying to start up, Aero Lucha. Last update I have for their crowdfunding. 
venture was uh, I think somewhere between 49 and 50 in- investors. I think they've already they've already passed the 60,000 mark. 60 I think they're a little over 62,000. So, but you have to remember one person dropped in 50k. So, it's really about 48 49 people at 12,000, which you know for me for me, you know, if small time promoter promotion type of thing, it'd be kind of cool, but you know, that's that this is they they're more thinking about television stuff like that. I think the Cubs fan made a point that he thinks it's more of uh, them trying to use this as to sell it to TV networks as a promotion that started as a grassroots, you know, invest investment opportunity where all these fans are joining in to like make it a you know get it started, but they're probably going to fund the majority of it on their own. Uh, they're they're going to fund the television part of it. Um, I have no idea what they're going to do. Um, like I said, I don't even know if Era Lucha really is Lucha because they don't really, their roster and with all these other promotions starting up and, and with WWE showing interest in Lucha and, and some of these guys, who knows what's, who's going to be in the, on their roster. Even like if you look at the, it, I won't, I won't, I won't mention Lucha Underground spoilers, but if you really want to know spoilers, just go to SoCal Uncensored. You'll find um, some of the spoilers. But even if you go on Lucha Underground's um their most recent spoilers they had a lot of stuff they, they they're far fewer luchadors now than there were in the first couple of seasons so it's 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 becoming a little more um difficult to really call these promotions lucha promotions if you want to go lucha promotions all these the lucha promotions are the ones that start two hours late really <laughs> if you're looking for those in the u.s i i had a chance to watch a lot of matches since i didn't watch any triple a so I watched a lot of good matches. A couple of matches from the Mexa Wrestling Show from March 24th. Um, you could find those on the Torta Super Astro YouTube channel. They have this really good interview with Demasiado, who's an exotico. He was really good. Like, if you want to know what it's like to, like, if you want to know the experience of, of being part of trying to get into CMLL, he basically talks about how how he got into training with it and how um, some of the bad um, the bad luck he's had within the last year uh, from the earthquake in Mexico, the earthquake that hit me- Mexico, leading to him not not really getting a chance to uh, appear on on more CMLL shows, to him um, suffering a dealing with a, a face a, a, an issue with his face where he, I mean he was talking about how he he, he became inflamed. Uh, and some inflammation on, on one side, and then all of a sudden that disappeared, and it came out on the other side. He could not figure out doctors. He, he doctors could not figure out what was wrong, uh, so he spent some time in his um, hometown, as far as like getting that resolved. And then he talks about um, suffering an or uh, an orbital bone break early in the year, and just coming back right now, just coming back right now, and trying to get back in shape and get back get back into the ring. And he said that he he plans. On going back to talk to CMLL again, and he hopes to wrestle there. I've only seen little of him, so I can't really give an opinion on how good or how bad he is. Um, but he, just from hearing him talk, he sounds like he's somebody that that has really thought this out. <laughs> he had a great take on women's wrestling about how there's a lot of bad women, there's a lot of bad luchadoras in Mexico because um, because his his feelings like a lot of promoters they just want to bring in. All these women, they're not even properly trained, or some of them aren't really that good. And he said that um, 
that it's really because the guys just want to see um the they bring it they bring these women in because they know fan, some guys just go to the shows to see these women you know he used a little bit more of a derogatory tor- term when describing it and he said and a lot of these women could always improve uh, but at the moment that they're that they, they start they're not very good and he which leads to my first match that i watched which i thought was great um kira versus princesa azul princesa azul who for those who aren't familiar with her is the daughter of hijo de anibal the granddaughter of anibal this one match she already showed more than her da- dad ever did <laughs> Uh, I'm not even joking. She was already way better than her dad. And uh, a couple of people, I think Rob mentioned that she's not very good. But she looked, uh, Kira made her look like a million bucks. Um, Kira is amazing. She's awesome. Uh, I think she's somebody that, she, I don't know why she's not getting more bookings in the U.S. I've seen her work a lot in Texas and um, a couple of the smaller groups. I know she worked for Aerolucha, but she should be somebody that like all these promotions should be trying to get. Yeah, Kira versus Princess Azul was really a good match. Um, Kira's just really good. Not just not just as a not just as a luchadora, but I think I think she's kind of like in that that stage that Fabi Apache was about what like in 2004, 2006, somewhere around that time period where she could just she was you could make an argument for her being as good as some of the men wrestling at that time. I think Kira's kind of at that level right now also where I think she's better than I think she's probably the best female wrestler in Mexico right now. She looked really good in this match. Like I said, if you could, if if she could, if 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 this was uh, her make doing a miracle and having a a good match with Princesa Azul, you know, she we're gonna have to get her against some of these other female wrestlers and have them and see if they what they could do against her. Maybe she could have like memorable matches. She could have like amazing matches with La Comandante or Sanelli and. Seductora and all these other women. Estrellita. You never know. The other really good match that I watched from the show was a five-way match. Aramis versus Moria, Septimo Dragon, Toxin, and Latigo. The winner would become the number one contender to the Crash Cruiserweight title, which is currently currently held by um Aero, I think it's held by Astrolux. I was gonna call him Aerolux. What was Aerolux? Aerolux was that was that the company that was like involved with Impact at one point? That's the Harris Twins thing, wasn't it? Well, this the Luchador's Astrolux. But anyways, this match was really good. Aramis was really good in this match. He's somebody that I think he needs... I don't know if he's if he's planned... If he's already gotten his um, travel visa or whatever he needs to get do to get out... Of, to, to work outside of Mexico. Because he's a guy that... I mean, right now, he could probably be in Dragon Gate, PWG, um, all these US indie groups. He's somebody that I think he he's he's the next guy that's gonna be that the 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 in that Flamita Bandito group of guys where he as soon as he's he gets his visa he'll be able to and he, he's allowed to travel he's gonna he's gonna be all over the place. The other guys were pretty good in the match also, uh, but I like I said Aramis looks looks really good. I mean he's just he he's at a whole another level. And you know we talk about Aramis and Kira and you know. These are two people who could always possibly go to CMLL or AAA, but I'm glad that they're not just because they're young and really those two promotions kind of kill the life out of a lot of their young talent, um, keeping them not just buried low in the card, but having them do a lot of repetitive matches, 
having them do a lot of like, or not even wrestling on shows, like in the case of Dinastia, where he sometimes isn't even on shows. Um, Kira would be like miserable, I think, if she was in CMLL or AAA. I think she might be a little more okay with AAA, but CMLL, just because she'd be doing all those trios matches, I think she'd be a little more miserable with AAA because there's not as much competition. And uh, with with CMLL, I think just constantly doing those trios matches would probably like kill her, uh, kill her enthusiasm. And Aramis, I think he was, if he was in CML, he'd probably be working the... Well, you know, the good thing, he would be in the Copa Nuevos Valores, but he'd probably, the rest of the time, he'd probably be in those opening or second or third matches uh, facing Cancerbero and Raciel or or Camora uh, and Inquisidor, guys like that. In AAA, he probably would be in just those random trios matches that low in the card or those um, relevos de locura matches. So I think they're, they're doing a lot better on the indie scene. Um, like I said... If they could get more work outside of Mexico, they they they'd be very they 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 would be in high demand. The other match I watched was Aramis versus Negro Casas from the Lucha Meme Show. It took Danny about a week to finally post this. It took him a week after like I think a week that it had already been decided what match it would be. I Cubs fan had picked it out. I think it was a week. I think it's been what has it been like three three or four weeks since this match happened. So. It actually was a pretty good match. It, it was good. Um, Aramis hit this really cool tope at Nero Casas where they both hit the this um, this post that's holding like the, the makeshift rooftop in Huacalco. But yeah, overall, really good match. Casas ended up winning with La Casita. Um, I think he won with La Casita. Um, but after the match, he, he really put over Aramis saying he gave him a 10 overall in his, in his performance. Um, he, I think Nero Casas was doing his own En Busca de un Idolo. That's really what we should do. That should be Nero Casas' new role. Like, he should wrestle young guys, and at the end of the match, it, it should be like Nero Casas in Busca de un Idolo, where he wrestles all the young guys, and then he ranks, gives them a, a, a on a scale of 1 to 10 what he thought their performances were. were. And then, like, that's that would be the end of the, like, that would be the segment. And then, like, uh, not just in CML, but in Indies, like he could work against Audaz, maybe work against like uh, Robin, and uh, in the Indies he could work Aramis and Astrolux. You know, maybe he shows up in IWRG Russell's. <laughs> he goes through the, tor- the, the those um those students those teams. They could have him wrestle like a like a what was that Lucha Libre Boom Team, the students, the the Phil students, Doctor Cerebro students. Just have him like go against everybody like, everywhere he goes. It'll be the En Busca de Unidolo show host with host Nero Casas. Host, he'll be the, the host, the, 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 the opponent, and the judge. There you go. That's the greatest idea of how to use Nero Casas coming up. The other match I watched this past Saturday, um, Sunday's, this past Sunday's um, hair match between Ricky Marvin and Dr. Cerebro, I thought it was pretty good. Ricky Marvin sold an arm injury like during the middle portion of the match. Um, Dr. Cerebro went after him really like early on. To, he controlled most of the match early on. And then um, Ricky Marvin regained, you know, he ended up winning. I thought it was pretty good. I think you could tell Ricky Marvin's, you know, he's gained a lot, gained some weight. Um, I think if he lost some weight, lost about 15, 20 pounds, I think he'd be in more demand. I, I'm surprised because I, 
I don't know, maybe he's not getting asked to work outside of Mexico, like as outside of Mexico or South, South America, because I think most of his bookings, I've seen he's rustled a, quite a bit in South America but and Mexico, but he's not really somebody gets brought into the U.S. And I think he's he has a name where you would think he would actually get bookings in the in the U.S. It, and but I think right now it's just the way he kind of looks like he kind of looks like super crazy in the in, in the weight department. Um, he lost a couple of pounds. I think he'd, he'd be he'd be in a little more demand. Um, but I thought that was a pretty good match. Flama Azul passed away this past Wednesday. He was a star in Lucha Libre during the 70s and, and 80s. He held the Mexican National Lightweight title from October 30th, 1986 when he beat El Tauro all the way through April 10th, 1977 when he lost the title to America Roca in Monterrey. He had successful title defenses against the likes of Estrella Blanca, Rodolfo Ruiz, and Mario Valenzuela. Uh, speaking of Estrella Blanca, I think I posted one of his... Because um, there were a bunch of Estrella Blancas by the late 80s. And I posted one of his matches, and one of them is actually this. I think it's this guy, because he was a lot older. Um, so after that title lost, lost, he lost his mask in a tag team match, teaming with El Enfermero Segundo against Brasso de Oro and Brasso de Plata on August 22nd, 1982. He would later become part of the Super Libres group. The Super Libres group is basically the end of what the... There were two groups of independents, the independents who worked the El Toreo, and then the other group of independents were called the Super Libres, who would mainly work on um, Pavillon Azteca, and they were basically... A lot of those guys were like the comedy characters, but joined in with a lot of um, pretty good wrestlers too. Um... He formed a trio with Darth Vader and El Magnifico. Who could forget Darth Vader's amazing run in Lucha Libre? Many of you do not realize that he was not he was not killed off in the Star Wars series. He was actually transitioning his career from being in movies to becoming a, a luchador. And he had a very successful run in the 80s, post-George Lucas movies. Amazing run um, as part of the Super Libras group. Flama Azul also had a heated rivalry rivalry in Pavillon Azteca with Super Muñeco. And um, I think by that point, I think he retired somewhere in the in the 80, early 90s, I think. Um, but he passed away this past Wednesday. So I wanted to do something different for this, uh, for the podcast, as I mentioned. Since I do the, the, the Lucha Classica podcast for Patreon. And I also do a, a write-up of Boxy Lucha magazines or... Um, there's a variety of other magazines. I think the next magazine I'm doing is Arena Box, Arena de Boxy Lucha, which is um, on the cover. It has, I think, El Enfermero on the cover. And it's from 1963. That's going to be the next magazine I, I write about. But the most recent one, I, what I wanted, to, I wanted to do is like add a little segment into the Lucha World podcast where I talk about something that, were, that maybe it was written in one of the magazines or was part of one of the most recent Lucha Classica episodes. And since we talked about Kira and we talked about the amazing return of Estrellita to the CMLL rings, I thought, what better time to talk about the history of women's wrestling in Mexico? In Mexico City, really, because it's not Mexico. Mexico City. The first matches in Mexico City occurred in 1942 and featured North American women like Mildred Burke, Susan Paul, Betty Garvey, and Mae Young, they actually wrestled 
three times in in Arena, Mexico that year. Um, I think it was in as part of the September um, anniversary shows around that time period. They made additional appearances throughout the years in the 1940s, all the way up through um, 1950. Um, some of the other some of the other women that also also included um, actually Mildred Burke returned May Young and June Byers would actually work a couple of shows as well. That 1950 was actually the last time they were there because at that point there was a new rule that was 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 brought was created by the Boxy Lucha Commission in Mexico City, where they were prohibiting women from wrestling in the city. That ban in Mexico City would go on for a over 30 years, I think. But there were still women's wrestling in other parts of Mexico. Um, in 1955, Jack O'Brien, along with a few other uh, promoters, um, brought back women's wrestling in other, like I said, other parts of Mexico. O'Brien actually trained some of the very first um, Mexican luchadoras uh, because originally it was mostly um, North American women that were traveling to Mexico to, to wrestle in Mexico. Well, Jack O'Brien started training female uh, wrestlers and some of the very, um, he decided that they should actually have women's wrestling on shows that he was promoting because he recalled that the women at, in the 40s that had come in at that time were actually pretty good draws. And he, I don't think he agreed with the, the commission the Mexico City's commission rule of, of that, you know, of, of banning them. So he decided um, to do his, um, when he would promote outside of Mexico City, he would have women's uh, a women's match. Um, some of the first luchadoras were La Dama Enmascarada, La Enfermera de Medico Asesino, Martha La Norteña, and Irma Gonzalez, who would actually become the top female wrestler in Mexico during that time period. Um, women would continue to wrestle throughout Mexico without stepping into Mexico City. So, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole um, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Just want to get to the part of um, how it, how women's wrestling was banned, for how long, and how it came back. They actually, a lot of the women by the 80s, they were actually getting more work. Actually, by the 70s and the 80s, they were getting more work, out, not just in Mexico, but they were working in the U.S., and Japan, you had a lot of the Mexican women like Lola Gonzalez, Irma Gonzalez, La Galactica, who mo- many of you who follow Lucha would know more as La Pantera Sureña. Uh, she used the Galactica name in, um, in all Japan women. Irma Aguilar, Suleima, and Chabela Romero, they were all um, traveling to Japan and working in the U.S. as well and other parts of Mexico, but still Mexico City, still because of the Boxy Lucha Commission, they were not allowed to, to wrestle there. And one of the reasons why they were not allowed to wrestle there was because the head of the Boxy Lucha Commission was a man by the name of Rafael Barradas. And for those of you who do not know Rafael Barradas, his daughter would eventually become um, would get an office job within um, in the, that commi- in the Boxy Lucha Commission. But she, she would also become a promoter. I think she became a promoter not for smaller shows. I'm not sure if in Mexico City, but in other parts of uh, Mexico. I think she might have become a, a promoter more in Mexico, in, in Monterey then. I know she had an office job because they, that's where, um, basically his daughter, whose name may, may have not been brought up, but his granddaughter is very well known, and this is where the connection is. His granddaughter is, of course, Estrellita, who would later become a luchadora, much to the disappointment of her grandfather 
was actually she said that he was not pleased that she was a wrestler but he she her thing she did she i think she i mentioned this in an in, in, a, in a previous podcast where she did an interview and she said that um her grandfather wasn't very supportive of his um of his daughter's decisions because i think it i think his i think his daughter married or hooked up with was in a relationship at a very young age and um he did not approve of it or something and and when when it took years for him to finally like help his daughter out and at that point estrellita and um and her um i think she had a brother or, or, or si- a couple of other siblings were it was mostly because they his, his their mother couldn't um support them so she actually like left them at an orphanage and then they eventually, she eventually came back and picked them up and, you know, with help from her grandfather and stuff like that. He, for many years, refused to let, to allow women to wrestle in Mexico City. And over the years, there were people who were like, not just, not just promoters, but wrestlers, the union, um, fans. Like you go through a lot of the Boxy Lucha magazines. There were so many fans constantly sending letters complaining about why Mex- in, in Mexico City, women weren't allowed to wrestle and it was basically Rafael Barradas would not allow it to happen because he didn't believe that women belonged in the wrestling ring um, it took it happened sometime in 80, 1984 or 1985 um, baby Richard told the story about how because um, he, he was working for the wrestlers union at that time and the wrestlers union was the one that actually wanted who started the, the, to like um, you know because they had the a lot of the women were part of that union and they kind of wanted to wrestle in Mexico City. And a lot of the promoters got involved in it also. And it wasn't until Paco Alonso and, and EMLL got involved that they were able to um, kind of start forcing the their point of view of having women back in, in the ring, you know, in, 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 on shows in Mexico City. And, you know, it actually ended up being where Rafael Barradas ended up losing this battle. And I think he retired after that. And um, it wasn't until, I think, 1987, 1986, late 1986, when women were allowed back into uh, to wrestle in, in, in Mexico City. And, you know, a lot of people often ask why, um, what some of, you know, some of the early years in, when I was on- online, we would constantly get asked what were some of the big matches in women's wrestling in Mexico City. And I think most, most of the time we would just mention stuff that happened in the 90s. And we would tell people, you know, wrestling in Mexico City was banned. And a lot of the, if you're going to get a lot of the footage of Lucha Libre from, from the 80s or 90s, the majority of it comes from Mexico City. So you're obviously not going to get a lot of women's wrestling from that time period. I think a lot of the, the stuff that you would get was um, whenever um, that was women wrestling in Mexico was usually the El Toreo stuff when like Chigusa Nagayo or they would have like an all Japan women's match, you know, featuring La Galactica or Lola Gonzalez versus somebody from there. I think there's a couple of things that were from that that made its way into the all Japan women's um, TV show. But um, yeah, that that was like for the longest time. And the funny thing is like um, the same time period that women's wrestling was um, where they lifted the ban in Mexico City. The Boxy Lucha Commission from Mexico City decided that they wanted to put in a, a uh, a rule where the, it would where, where where it would where wrestlers over the age of thirty five would not be allowed to wrestle in Mexico in Arena Mexico or in a Coliseo, 
Um, obviously, that did not pass. But um, the reason that got brought up was because some of the early female wrestlers that finally got to work in Mexico City for the first time were actually women that were well past 35. And um, I think one of them, I think it was Chabela Romero and um, Irma Gonzalez were the ones that were brought up. But yeah, that that was basically something that went on for a long time. Once the ban was lifted, we got to see a lot of the, um, no, not only did um, we see a lot of the, the luchadoras, but also we got to see a lot of the, the foreigners make their way into Mexico City. Uh, Monster Ripper wrestled quite a bit in, in, on EMLL shows. And Chigusa Nagayo also wrestled. I think she wrestled one of the an EMLL show in 1988. I think that's also, that, also, that, that made it onto All Japan Women's Television at one point also. So it's on, uh, it's on one of the All Japan Women's Classic shows. But yeah, that that's that that band went on for a long time. In the '90s, uh, what happened was there really wasn't. I think a lot of the women were splitting their time because EMLL wasn't really pushing women's wrestling as much. There, there were basically it was. I think for a lot of for a lot of years it was like you had the Moreno sisters and you had Lady Apache, but then you wouldn't really see them that often. And usually you would have them wrestling like Akira Hokuto or. Um, Bulnakano, people like that, but um, it wasn't that frequent. And then so they would go to AAA, and really Antonio Pena was the one that was more behind women's wrestling at that time. So you kind of had more women's wrestling there, or they would work independence, and that would give them more freedom to work go work with all Japan women, um, and some of the later promotion women's promotions from Japan that came along like um, like Arsian and stuff like Agaya and all that stuff. But yeah, there there really wasn't a lot of stuff televised. Really, a lot of the women's wrestling that got televised more was like in the late late nineties with um, AAA when the Moreno sisters and then Las Brujas, um, the Apache sisters, and all that later on came to be. And then like you know, CMLL finally got behind women's wrestling in the what in the early two. I think it was two thousand four, two thousand five when and that was really mostly because of um, Dark Angel, Sarah Stock, and you know there was a lot of um, you know, Marcella, Amapola, who were a lot better at, the, you know, than, than they were very good in the ring. So that kind of got that going. And, you know, so you you really like most of the quality of women's wrestling at that time was really during that time period. Now you get a lot of women's wrestling. And I think right now the problem with a lot with women's wrestling is like there's a lot of women in, in wrestling in Mexico, but it's not really quality. It's more quantity. And, you know, quality, it unfortunately... I think, unfortunately, it's it's more about um, the promoters. I think they see a pretty face or a pretty body, and they kind of like like um, Demasiado said, they see that guys want to see that, and they kind of skip all the the you know the work rate and them being a lot better in the ring. Some of them end up improving, but some of them never really do. But um, like I said, um, that's that's that band. Yeah, there that was like a you know that's thirty years there was that that's a pretty amazing story like that's something that i'm sure it's gonna it's gonna get pop up there's gonna be more stories to it because um every like i said every time i go i open a magazine there's there's somebody complaining about it or there's a little snip, snippet about um about um how they weren't allowed in mexico city and i know there's from going to to the cauliflower alley club um convention in las vegas um there's been a lot of the older women who have talked about um them working in mexico and you know in the 80s and you think I don't remember them being in wrestling in Mexico, but it's because they didn't work in Mexico City. They were wrestling in um, other, you know, other parts of the of Mexico. You know, the 
the Juarez, Monterey, places like that. So you really didn't get to see them at that time. So yeah, that's the first Lucha Classica segment we'll be doing on these shows. Going to try to add one every couple, every every show. Hopefully every show. If not, every couple of shows. I hope everybody enjoyed it. That's about it for this week. Again, be sure to visit the website at luchaworld.com. You can also support the site by signing up to the Patreon page at patreon.com slash luchaworld. I should not forget the slash. I think I forgot the last time. Which features the Lucha Classica podcast, Lucha Lucha Magazine write-ups, and some more stuff that will be coming up soon. You can also visit our sponsor, Amazon.com. If ordering something from them, click through the link on our site and they'll send us a few pesos every so often. It's more than pesos, but, you know, it isn't that much. Uh, But it helps. Every little bit helps. And, you know, it's always nice to, like, you know, it's always fun to, like, randomly get an Amazon credit and be completely confused why I'm getting, like, 10 or 11 bucks suddenly from Amazon. Because I don't even remember half the time that I, I signed up to their affiliate program. And and it shows up and, you know, I always have to figure out if maybe they canceled a, a an order I made. But it turns out I, it's from the affiliate program. Like I said, every little bit helps keep the site running and keeps me fed so I have the energy to do all these podcasts. So um, hope everyone enjoyed the show and we will be back again soon. <laughs>